And thank you so much for being here this evening. This is a great icing on the cake. We had 30 in our afternoon class today, and it was glorious. Now, i got to tell you, here's the reason. I know why they come in the afternoon. It's because my wife makes cookies, and that's why they come in the afternoon. And all summer long, she said, why don't we make them in the evening? And I said, I want to get the folks spoiled. Because if you get spoiled, then we come to this time of year, and she can't do both, and so we just keep you, keep you where you're at. But, uh, but thank you for being here tonight. And we are in Isaiah chapter 60, and um, we are in a spectacular portion of the book of Isaiah. And I say that because we, for the first 39 chapters, were going into a great deal of time on the judgments that, were, that, were, uh, that Judah was facing. And we've said this so many times, but uh, they had crossed the line. They had become so wicked. In fact, the Bible says they had become even more wicked than the heathen nations around them, which was just despicable. And God stirred up the Assyrians and followed by the Babylonians, led them into captivity. And then, of course, many years later, he destroyed Jerusalem with, by the uh, nation of Rome. And uh, so what, what we see in Isaiah is... Is, is a constant uh, look to the immediate in Isaiah's day, to the judgments of Assyria and then Babylon, and then on beyond that to the restoration. And then he spends a great deal of time, particularly in these chapters, in the millennium. And we get a little surprise tonight because you're going to see us go even beyond the millennium tonight for the first time. And so, great chapter. Let me read just the first verse here, then I'll pray, and then we'll get into our lesson. In Isaiah chapter 60, in verse 1, it says, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. If you're taking notes, Roman number 1 is the light of the world. The light of the world, and then letter A is the Messiah will bring light to a dark world. Let's pray. I thank you so much, Lord, for giving us the book of Isaiah. And Lord, because our cultures are so different, it's been challenging to read through the book. And Lord, you don't make it simple because you do a lot of jumping around in it, causing us to really focus. So I pray that your spirit might lead us tonight and gives to us tonight, Lord, what you'd have for us. It's an exciting chapter, Lord, and we'll miss so much of it if you're not here with us. And so lead us and guide us, and we'll thank you for it, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. This particular chapter, chapter 60, looks to the millennial reign of Christ and the blessings that will be upon Israel. Like the bright sun rising after a dark night, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, will take center stage and become the focal point of all the earth. In that time, Jesus will rule, and Israel will be his people. During that time, the church that had previously been raptured, us, we will be ruling and reigning with Christ. In Isaiah 40 and verse 5, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. So Isaiah chapter 60 opens up with this dramatic um, uh, herald, a trumpet call, arise, shine, for thy light has come. And what we see is the light looking at the future of Jesus ruling as Messiah. Now, is there any way in the world that you can get your mind back in Isaiah's day? 
In Isaiah's day, Judah has been living luxuriously. And God has been given, through the prophet Isaiah, all these warnings. Warnings because they are ignoring God. They're deep into idolatry. They're living in all sorts of wickedness. The priests are drunks. And so it's just they're living a life of abomination before the Lord. And God, through the prophet, gives them these prophecies or what's going to happen. And in His mercy, after all these chapters of talking about impending doom and judgment, He periodically, and very much highlighting here at the end of the book, He gives pictures of what it's going to be like after the judgments, after the restoration, in this time where Jesus rules and reigns. Now, I have no doubt but what the backslidden, heathen black hearts of the Jews of Judah in that time were not able to conceive of what was being given them. They were not able to get their minds around the fact of what was going to be happening in that day. And so I'm sure that most of them missed out on the glorious blessing. But what about those few Jews considered the remnant that were still walking with God? Though the nation as a whole was reprobate, we know that there was always a remnant. There were always a few. And I say to those few, God gave these wonderful snatches of mercy, these, these, these bright highlights saying, okay, it's going to be bleak for a while, but hang on, be patient, because there's coming a day in which you will not be able to comprehend. It'll be so glorious. Verse 2. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. Letter B, the world will become darkest, and then the Lord will return. If I were to ask you to tell me on a scale of how dark you believe the world is today, spiritually. The ten being the darkest. My guess, my guess most of us would say the world right now is hovering right around, oh, maybe 7.5 to 8.5. I mean, it's really, really, really dark. But we know it's not the darkest yet. It's really dark, but it's not the darkest yet. I mean, my goodness, you just... I'm not encouraging you to do this, but if you turn the television on and look at the news at all, you realize that we're living in a very, very deprived world right now. And the horrible sins and atrocities that are going on, you say, how in the world could God stomach all this? It's just horrible. How is it that God's just not going to incinerate the world because it's so bad? Well, the how is is because we know that God's still in control. And God knew all this was going to happen, and God has an appointed time. And God has the future all laid out very specifically. And so we look and see here, and this time, though the world today is dark, living in a general apathy toward God at best, and apostate and atheistic at worst, it does not compare with the darkness that will prevail over the world after you and I, after believers are taken out. After the salt is removed from the earth, this world will go completely dark spiritually. The tribulation will be a time of unprecedented hatred and violence toward Christ and anything related. 
those who come to trust in Christ will quickly face intense persecution, most oftentimes death. It will be a time of gross darkness, unlike the world has ever seen before. As the people on earth reach their darkest, most ungodly state, in that state where the world is darkest, the Lord's going to come back. And he's going to set up his throne, causing every knee to bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. In 1 Peter 2.9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So if we're living in a 7.5 darkness scale today, how are we to respond? We, believers, you and I, we are to look at that scale and see these splotches of bright light. In this, in this dark background, there's to be splotches of incredibly bright light. That's to be us. We are to be reflecting his light in this dark world. Number two is Israel expanding. In verse three, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Here's where it gets really interesting. Letter A, Gentile nations will be drawn to Christ. You can imagine the geography around Israel today. Israel is a relatively very small country and surrounded by these Arab nations. And they are hostile toward Israel primarily. They would be delighted if Israel were just wiped off the map and they could take that land over once again. But in the millennium, there's going to be a complete change of attitude. The reign of Jesus Christ will be unlike any preceding potentate. The Lord Jesus will rule with a rod of iron, but he will also be completely fair and just. The world will have entered or endured the spirit of deception for so long, the truth that is Jesus will have a powerful drawing effect to both his own people, the Jews, and the heathen nations. They will be sick and tired of the deception by that time. The Gentile nations will be required to appear before the Lord Jesus at least once a year. There, they will be judged and taught by him an unparalleled opportunity. In Psalm 138, verse 4, All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Is that happening today? Are all the kings of the earth praising the Lord today? I'm going to say no. <laughs> the words coming from their mouth today is not, Praise you, Jehovah. They're words of condemnation to Christ and anything associated Verse number four, lift up thine eyes round about and see. All they gather themselves together, they come to thee. Thy sons shall come from far, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Letter B, Jews from around the globe will return to Israel. Jews from around the globe will return. The rule of Christ will be established in Jerusalem called Mount Zion. The entire world will take notice as each part of the earth will be under the umbrella of Jesus' reign. In that day, Jews from all parts of the globe will return to their homeland, to Israel. They will come from far and will be welcomed as a child to its mother. 
And Isaiah 49, 18, Lift up thine eyes round about, and behold, all these gather themselves together and come to thee. As I live, saith the Lord, thou shalt surely clothe thee with them all, as with an ornament, and bind them on thee, as a bride doeth. Verse 5, Then thou shalt see, and flow together, and thine heart shall fear, and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee, the forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. Letter C. Jews will watch in amazement at Israel's growth. The Jews in Israel will watch as their homeland expands with those refugees who are returning. They will also keep a wary eye on the vast numbers of Gentiles appearing in their country. Isaiah said they would flow together as a great sea, suggesting they would learn to work side by side, the Jews with the Gentiles. However, there'd be fear. There'd be fear and worries, possible concern that these Gentiles coming into their homeland may go back to their predatory ways against them. Apparently, vast numbers of Gentiles will be converted in that day and will come to live as close as possible to the Messiah. And you can understand how they might be nervous, how these, these, these uh, Gentiles, who were their enemies previously, are now showing signs of devotion to Israel's God, to Jehovah, and they're wanting to be close to Jesus as he rules, so they wanting to move. As we talked about this afternoon, it's hard to find an area of land in this area that's not being built on today. We are exploding. Longmont's exploding. Everywhere you go in this whole region, it's exploding. You say, where are they all coming from? It's crazy. Well, let me tell you, though the roads here are getting much crazier, it's nothing like what it's going to be in Israel in this day. Nothing. Now, I don't know. <laughs> We've watched housing prices just go through the, through, the, through the roof. So expensive to live out here. Why? Because supply and demand. People are wanting to live out here, so they're jacking the prices up. Well, if they want to live here that badly, and they want to live there even more badly, what's the real estate going to be like there? Well, there's one caveat, and that is Jesus is going to rule. And so we know that Jesus is going to rule fairly. Now, that's going to include the marketplace. And so I just found that interesting as I let my mind go about that. In Revelation 21, verse 23 and 24, it says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. The kings of the earth, from the nations that today are their enemies, the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into Jerusalem. And we'll talk more about that as the chapter progresses. Verse 6. The multitude of camels shall cover thee, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all they from Sheba shall come, they shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. The letter D, the neighboring nations will bring their wealth 
in praise to the king. Well, in this day, which is a future, they have the future, these, these um, kings and these rich people are going to bring their wealth into Jerusalem. Well, it said there will be a multitude of camels, multitude of camels and dromedaries. Now, this was written when there were no automobiles. There were no cars, no buses, no expensive airplanes in that day. So they described the modes of transportation in their day. Is it possible that instead of multitudes of camels, is it possible to be multitudes of Mercedes-Benz? <laughs> Expensive cars showing up here, bringing their wealth and the dromedaries. Now I will say this, it is possible that the actual camels will be here. It'd be possible because what we don't know is how much devastation is going to remain from the tribulation. We don't know how many things are going to be completely obliterated during the tribulation. We don't know that. Is it possible that mankind during the tribulation will go back to very primitive states to where as we're going into the millennium, it will be basically starting from square one? I don't know. So maybe there will be camels coming into it at that point. We don't know. Those nations surrounding Israel will bring their wealth to pay homage to the king Jesus in that glorious day. The extravagance of their gifts will bring great praise to the Lord. They're going, the kings from the nations are going to be coming into Jerusalem bringing their gifts, their offerings. It'll be a lot of wealth coming into Jerusalem. Their praise will precede them as they journey into Israel and follow them back to their own lands when they return. The earth will be filled with the praises of the Lord. Malachi 1.11, For from the rising of the sun, even to the going down thereof, the same my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. Verse 7, All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together unto thee, the rams of Nebaioth shall minister unto thee. They shall come up with acceptance on mine altar, and I will glorify the house of my glory. Letter E. Gentile nations will bring offerings in that day. The peoples of Kedar and Nebaioth were nomadic tribes descending from Ishmael. They were Arabs, known for their great flocks and herds. Of these animals, they, the Arabs, and as you think of Arabs today, generally speaking, when you think of Arabs today, what religion do you think of? Muslim, right. Okay. How would Arabs today feel about bringing animals as sacrifices for the Jews? They would despise it, wouldn't they? It would be horrible. It would be an abomination to them. But in this day, they're going to bring their offerings. The Gentile nations who were Muslim, the Arabs, are going to be providing the animal sacrifices in that day. Uh, verse number 8. Who are these that fly as the cloud and as the doves to their windows? Letter F. 
the gathering masses appear overwhelming to Israel. At the sight of all the attraction to Jerusalem in that day, Israel asks who they all were. Who are all these people? The place is exploding. Where are they all coming from? Haven't you asked that recently? Where are all these people coming from? The Jews will be asking this. There were Jews of every land and tribe and Gentiles in vast numbers. The land in that day was being overrun by a mass invasion. And Isaiah 45, 22 and following, Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say, In the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. Verse 9. Surely the isles shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish first, to bring thy sons from far, their silver and their gold with them, unto the name of the Lord thy God, and to the Holy One of Israel, because... He hath glorified thee. Letter G. Keeping with the theme of returning Jews and Gentiles coming to their homeland, Gentile ships will transport those returning to Israel in that day. The Gentiles are going to participate in bringing people back to their homeland, bringing Jews back to their homelands. In that day, travelers to Jerusalem will find transportation on the ships of the Gentiles. As if awaiting a queue, the Gentile countries step up to provide the necessary passage for the returning Jews and interested Gentiles. Another mention is made here of the wealth that will make its way to the storehouses in Jerusalem. Jesus Christ will be marvelously glorified in that day. My wife and I had the privilege of taking a cruise a number of years ago now to Alaska. One of our anniversaries, the church graciously provided for us, and it was spectacular. Well, I think this is insinuating that in this day, the Gentile nations are going to provide transportation for all these returning Jews. What will the cruise ships be used for in that day? Returning Jews to come to their homelands. Now, not just ships. I think that every mode of transportation, I think the air, is, the air will be filled with planes flying Jews back to their homeland in that day. And who will be orchestrating it? The Jews? No, the Gentiles. God will stir the Gentiles' hearts to return Jews back to their homelands. In Psalm 72 and verse 9, they that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him, and his enemies shall lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. What a change it's going to be in the millennium. Just a complete upside-down turn to where instead of rejecting the king, instead of being um, uh, an enemy of the king, they will be bowing down before him, serving him. Number three, Israel's restoration. Verse 10. And the sons of strangers shall build up thy walls, and their kings shall minister unto thee. 
For in my wrath I smote thee, but in my favor have I had mercy on thee. In my wrath I smote thee, I chastened thee, but in thy favor I've had mercy. He's talking to his people. When I was angry with you, I chastened you. But now in my favor, once I have favor, I'll show my mercy to you. Letter A, Gentiles will provide labor for rebuilding Jerusalem. Once, um, once Jesus returns, he's going to find the world destroyed. The tribulation is going to be a horrible, horrible, devastating time. The Lord returns in battle of Armageddon. He's going to destroy the masses. And so he's going to be starting basically from square one. He's coming to, uh, to Israel that has been the, the, uh, the, the center point of all the world's animosity, trying to blow Israel off the map. And the Lord instead will take over, and he will begin rebuilding that. But who, according to this, is going to be the ones rebuilding the walls? Will it be God's people, the Jews? Not according to this. <laughs> I found that funny. The very ones who are being used as enemies will be turned around to be the ones doing the work to rebuild the walls at that time. Jerusalem will be built up by the very people groups who had gathered against her to destroy her before the Lord returns. What a radical change. Gentiles will turn to the Lord both in worship and in service. The Lord had been forced to bring judgment upon Israel because of their wickedness and idolatry in the days leading up to the Lord's reign. But now, however, in the millennium, in his mercy, he would show Israel great favor. Something similar is said in Isaiah 54 and verse 8. In a little wrath, he says, I hid my face from thee for a moment. But with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord, thy Redeemer. Which I chuckle. He says, in a, a little wrath, I hid my face for just, just a moment. Just for a moment, I hid my face from you, Israel. Just for a moment. But how long was that moment? <laughs> after, after Israel finally crossed the line and Judah crossed the line and God stirred up Babylon and God came and three sieges took them and deported them out of Israel into bondage for 70 years. And then, of course, they came back. But from that point on, Israel was no longer considered a nation. Not until 1948. How long is that moment? And I'd say it was quite a long moment, wouldn't you? And I would say that moment in, in actuality is still continuing because it will continue through the tribulation. And so God says, God says, it's just for a moment. But God's moments tend to be different than our moments. Until you compare it to eternity. That's what he's emphasizing here. He says, he says, the wrath that I showed on you, which was that moment, which seems like a long time for us, but compared to this, he says, everlasting kindness I will have on you, that moment was nothing. That moment was nothing because they're going to face everlasting mercy with God. Verse 11, Therefore thy gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut day nor night that men may bring unto thee the forces of the Gentiles, and that their kings may be brought. Letter B, the gates of Jerusalem will remain open in the millennium. And that may, that may not sound like a big deal, but compared to today, it's a huge deal. 
During the millennium, with Jesus ruling as king, there would no longer be need for shutting the city gates at night. In earlier times, the gates were always closed in the evening for security reasons, not to be opened again until morning. However, those gates will be guarded by the Lord Jesus, then leaving nothing to fear. Those Gentile nations that become allied with Israel during that time will come and go freely. The idea is they will add their strength or forces in this verse to Israel. It will be a time of great expansion for Israel. In Nehemiah 13, 19, it describes this very concept. And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, Nehemiah says, I commanded that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be opened till after the Sabbath. And some of my servants set I at the gates that there should be no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. And in Nehemiah's day, they were nervous about the enemy attack, so they had to shut the gates at night, not open them again. Over the weekend, they would keep it closed until after the Sabbath. They would keep it open nightly, or keep them closed nightly until the until morning when it was bright out. Then they would open the gates. But in the millennium, those gates will not close. Why? Because the Lord Jesus will be guarded during that time. Verse 12. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee, this is during the millennium, any nation not serving thee shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. Letter C. Non-compliant Gentile nations will perish. During the Lord's reign, any nation refusing to submit to his authority and serve Israel will simply waste away. Zechariah states the Gentile nations not coming to Jerusalem to worship the Lord will have no reign. They will face the judgment of the ruler of the world. Zechariah's passage in chapter 14, verse 17, And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no reign. They're going to waste away. Verse 13. The glory of Lebanon shall come unto thee, the fir tree, the pine tree, and the box together, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. Letter D. The temple, this is the millennial temple, will be beautified by trees from Lebanon. Various trees from the lush forests of Lebanon to the north of Israel will be brought to Jerusalem to be used in building the temple, possibly to be planted in the surrounding hills to further adorn the area. The trees named were native that to the trees named were native that region, not of Babylon. According to the pulpit commentary, the first one, the fir, is a juniper, a product of Lebanon. The next one is called a plain or tidhar, a tree from the un, that's not uncommon to Syria sometimes growing to a great size. And the next one, called a box here, is known as the sherbin, a sort of cedar tree, remarkable for the upward tendency of its branches. The mercy seat upon the, which the ark was often described as being God's footstool. In the millennium, the glorious new temple will provide the place for God to dwell with his people. First <laughs> uh, Chronicles 22.8 then David the king stood upon his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. As for me, I had in mine heart to build a house of rest 
for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and had made ready for the building. So described here in this millennial temple is a place where over the, over the ark, we have placed the mercy seat, where the picture is God resting his feet. <laughs> so God, God just, just taking and putting his feet on that. Verse number 14. The sons also of them that afflicted thee shall come bending unto thee, and all they that despised thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet, and they shall call thee the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Letter E, historically hostile nations will humble themselves before Israel. We're talking about descendants of those nations that have been enemies of Israel and have been used to judge them. Those will humble themselves before Israel during the millennium. They will contritely bow and call Jerusalem a respectful name for a change. The city of the Lord, they'll call it and the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. The list of offending nations is great. When you stop and think about your, your history of Israel and how the various nations attacked them, you'll remember nations like Egypt, and Canaan, and Philistia, Assyria, Babylon, Edom, Moab, Moab, and Ammon, among others. The day of the Lord's reign will elicit humility from the very peoples who were filled with pride and defiant arrogance toward them previously. Isaiah 62, 4, Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called Hephzibah, my delight, and thy land Beulah, for the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. Verse 15, Whereas thou hast been forsaken and hated, so that no man went through thee, I will make thee an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. Letter F. Israel had become desolate and forsaken, but will be renewed in the Lord's day. From the perspective of being in the millennium, now this is important. Now the perspective, they're standing in the millennium looking back previously. So that no man went, let's see, a look back over Israel's past reveals destructions of Judah and Jerusalem, leaving them in ruins, invasions by nations like the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Romans, would have made the land worthless for a traveler. They would have likely searched alternative routes around the area. However, in the Lord's day, he will make Israel a fruitful land highly favored as both a vacation destination as well as a great interest in real estate. Lamentations 1.4, the ways of Zion do mourn because none come to the solemn feasts. All her gates are desolate, her priests sigh, her virgins are afflicted, and she is in bitterness. Verse 16, thou shalt also suck the milk of the Gentiles and shalt suck the breast of kings and thou shalt know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Letter G. Gentile nations will help supply the needs of Israel in that day. Not only will the Gentiles be used to build the walls, but they will also help supply their, their, their needs. As a baby finds its nourishment from its mother, so in that day Israel 
will be strengthened and fed by the Gentile nations desirous of serving them, led by the generosity of their kings. These nations will supply the needs of Israel lavishly. In so doing, the Lord will be glorified, seeing such ambivalence from previously hateful nations. The Lord's identity will be bolstered as their Savior, Redeemer, and the Mighty One of Jacob because of such unexpected outcomes. Ezekiel 34.30, Thus shall they know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that, they, and, that, and that they, even the house of Israel, are my people, saith the Lord God. Number four, Israel's blessed status. Verse 17, For brass I will bring gold, for iron I'll bring silver, for wood, brass, and for stones, iron. I will also make thy officers peace, and thine exactors righteousness. Letter A, gold and silver will flow into Israel in the millennium. Israel will be greatly blessed in the millennium. Gold, silver, brass, and iron will flow into the land, making Israel lavishly wealthy. Those tasked with protecting the land and fighting for it will be reassigned to tasks of peace. All of Israel's forms of tax collectors will exercise their duties fairly and righteously. You say, what tax collectors will there be? Well, they'll be collecting various forms of tithe. The nations will be giving their, their taxes, their dues to the king. Isaiah 32, 18, And my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation, and in sure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. Verse 18, Violence shall no more be heard in thy land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders, but thou shalt call thy walls salvation, and thy gates praise. Letter B, Israel will no longer be a place of violence. Does a day go by without Israel being in the news? Something in the Middle East going on? Um, co conflict going on in the Middle East? Where Israel seems to always be dead center? Well, in this day, the day of the millennium, there will no longer be violence. One of the most dramatic changes in that day will be the absence of any form of violence. They'll be free of war, free of attacks of any kind, no terrorist activity, no Crime. Instead of its historically threatened posture, Israel's walls will be known as salvation, and its gates praise. Isaiah 26, 1, In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Now we're going to end up here with the last section, and here's where it gets really cool. The last section, number five, the eternal kingdom. The eternal kingdom. We're going to get a sneak peek beyond the thousand years now, which is phenomenal when you understand this prophecy is being given to Isaiah before Assyria even attacks. And in this marvelous prophecy, he's going as far out as the eternal kingdom. Verse, nine, verse 19, the sun shall be no more thy light by day. Neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee. But the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, 
and thy God thy glory. Letter A, in the new heaven and earth, the light will be provided by the Lord. One of the first times God grants a glimpse beyond the millennium into the eternal kingdom of God. In that blessed time, the light of the sun and moon will be replaced by the Lamb of God who will be its light. God's glory will illuminate the world. Revelation 21, 23, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Verse 20, Thy sun shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw itself. For the Lord shall be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy mourning shall be ended. Letter B, there will be no night then, and no more mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. There will be no night in the eternal day, as the Lord is the light. It appears there will be likely still a sun and a moon, but they will somehow not be the sources of light. They will be superseded by the Lord himself. Israel will no longer mourn over its guilt of crucifying the Son of God. God will wipe away all tears from their eyes, and likely, as well, memories from their past, freeing them from those tortures. Isaiah 25, 8, He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off their faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. Verse 21, Thy people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. Letter C, The eternal kingdom will be populated with the righteous, each one glorifying their God. In the new heavens and earth, all those in the kingdom will be righteous. Of special note here is the land that will be inherited by God's people, Israel. It had been long prophesied and finally possessed in that day. God will receive all the glory as his finished product will exist to glorify him forever in his kingdom. Isaiah 44, 23, Sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth, break forth into singing, ye mountains, O forest and every tree therein, for the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. And lastly, verse 22, A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in his time. Letter D, God's plan for Israel will finally be fulfilled in that day. Israel will have experienced the blessing of the Lord as in the millennium they will expand into the great nation prophesied to Abraham at the beginning. The Lord will be glorified as his plan will have been fulfilled and all will give him praise for his great and mighty works. Habakkuk 2.3, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Hebrews 10.36 For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. 
In other words, these verses are saying to the Jews to whom he's offering these prophecies, have patience, have patience. There is an appointed time. The vision is for an appointed time. I've got it all worked out, but you've got to wait for it. And to us today, he says, I got it. I got it all worked out. I got the rapture all worked out, but you've got to be patient. You've got to wait for it. And while you're being patient, occupy until I come. <laughs> Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, so much for this amazing chapter. Thank you for your love and your blessing, and thank you for the reminders, Lord, that you do have our futures very well planned. And for that, we give you the praise. Thank you for being our sovereign God, and help us in the meantime that we have, the little time that we have before your return. Help us to give it all, Lord, serving you and loving you and sharing you with others. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.